Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and where we last left off was chapter 4, verse 10. It says, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What a great scripture that is. That last phrase tells us that Christ did not ascend simply to leave this world behind him unattended. He did not do that. Rather, he ascended so that he might expand his presence and his influence in the world. How exactly could he do that? How would he do that from the right hand of the Father now positioned in heaven? Well, it was through the spiritual gifts that he distributes to his people in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And so not only has Christ given us the greatest gift of all, the gift of himself. Amen? The gift of himself. He, he gives gifts to the church, to you and I, for the sake of ministry, for service, for reaching out to others, for causing our lives to be filled with joy and contentment, purpose and meaning. So with him came a whole different way of doing life. Life that is not boring, without purpose, without hope, but filled with hope, filled with purpose in doing this life. So be assured, and this is good news for all of us, he has divine purposes even for the very least among us. Amen. Even amongst the least of us, he has awesome, great purpose and meaning. We are all on God's A-team. I said this three weeks ago. I'm repeating it here because I like that. I don't know how many of you, like when you were younger, did sports, and it was always important to be on the A-team, right? It mattered that you were on the first string and not the second string, that sort of thing. There is no B-team with God. There is no second string. We're all first stringers. <laughs> We're all part of his A-team every single one of us. So let's check out the list of gifts that Christ has given to the church by him himself. They're all found in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Some of you, is probably if not all of you, are aware that there are three different lists or categories of gifts in Scripture. Romans chapter 12, are, we find a group of seven gifts given. They are referred to as the Father's creational gifts because they are given by the Father, as we are told in Romans 12. These are the talents and the abilities that you were born with, okay? Uh, mercy or knowledge or, or, or leadership, those kind of things. They are also referred to as the motivational gifts since they are what motivates you to do what you lean towards doing. There is another set of gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are 
given by the Holy Spirit. And they are known as the manifestation gifts because each of these gifts are seen as a visible evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity amongst us. And then, of course, the ones that we've just looked at here in Ephesians 4:11. These gifts are given by Jesus. Now, did you already notice here something pretty cool and awesome? The, the involvement of the entire Godhead in the giving of these gifts. The Holy Trinity, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and now Jesus, all involved in the giving of these gifts to His people, to His church. These gifts found here in chapter 4, verse 11, are called the ministry gifts and are for the nurturing and equipping and the building up of His church. Verse 11 actually picks up, again, the subject that was started back in verses 7 and 8 to tell us the relationship between the call of unity and the part that spiritual gifts play within the unity that is to exist amongst us. These spiritual gifts Christ has given us. Spiritual gifts are at the heart, church, of Christ's strategy for building His church. And we need to understand that. They're important. They matter. They are at the heart of what He is all about in terms of building His church. So let's look at the first one that is mentioned. It's the apostles. The word apostle means to be sent out. An apostle is a, a representative, a person who is sent out into anywhere in any place on the planet to represent the one who has actually called him and sent him. Now, we know that Jesus had a whole lot of disciples, right? Still does, even in our day. Yeah. But he only picked 12 apostles, which became 11, right? Because of what Judas did, which many scholars think became 12 again when he called Saul, who became the Apostle Saul. Now, we know that the disciples got together and they tossed some dice and Matthias was selected, but we never ever hear of the guy, do we? But Paul comes on the scene and I think, in my own thinking too, I agree that he probably was what God had in mind in making it that number 12. And we know that 12 is important. When you read the book of Revelation, you see that represented there. An apostle is a divinely appointed representative. Apostles, there was a, this requirement that seems to have existed in the, New in the New Testament, in the early church. They had to have seen the risen Lord. Okay, and Paul did, right, on the road to Damascus where that qualified him. They had been gifted by God with the ability to do amazing signs and wonders to confirm the very gospel messages they were preaching. Their labor produced fruit among unreached people, establishing churches wherever they went. And additionally, they were gifted by the Holy Spirit with unparalleled wisdom, which rendered their message at that point in time absolutely authoritative. The apostles were among the foundational ministers of the original church who revealed sound doctrine and wrote the books of the New Testament, which would carry the church into the future, into this very moment. Because of the uniqueness of this ministry, and please understand and listen closely to me now, because of the uniqueness of this ministry, the original 
function of the apostles from that first century early church do not exist today. Why? Stick with me. Because the New Testament has been written. There are no more books being added to our Bibles. Amen? Amen. And the foundation of the church has been laid. However, <laughs> I'm glad you're sticking with me. However, in a broad sense, all Christians have been given an apostolic ministry. Amen? Yeah. Now, watch this with me. As, G as God the Father sent His Son, He is really the number one supreme primary apostle prophet. Yeah. Right? And then that got passed on to the 12 that He selected. They are now gone. But the, they have, in a sense, passed on to everyone that has become a follower of Christ ever since, fall into that category of following their example as they followed Christ's example, as we continue to follow Christ's example. Historically, in the broad sense, all who choose to follow Jesus to be his servants in any generation must see the Lord through the eyes of faith. Amen? Yeah. And, so, and, and know him intimately and closely as they did. Similarly, the servant must personally see and experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus by faith. Secondly, the prophet. Like the apostle, the prophet was also considered or regarded in Scripture as a foundational ministry of the church. Prophets were the unique mouthpieces, mouthpieces of God. And like Old Testament prophets, they too in the early church would foretell the future. We see that in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 21. They exhorted, they encouraged, they strengthened God's people. More importantly, though, they revealed the word of God when the New Testament scriptures had not yet been collected and the New Testament Bible had not yet come into existence. Their authoritative and inspired messages came by direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. Believers in the New Testament churches, as I just said, did not possess Bibles like we do because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. How then would these local congregations in that early church discover God's wisdom, His purpose, or even come to know His will like He wants us all to know? How would this take place within the congregations to discover all this? The Holy Spirit would share God's truth with those possessing the gift of prophecy. Paul suggests that the gift of prophecy had to do with understanding. This is what he says, his words, all mysteries and all knowledge. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, meaning, of course, spiritual truth, that which we find right here in our Bibles. Amen? Spiritual truth. Now listen closely once again. Christians today do not get their spiritual knowledge immediately directly 
from the Holy Spirit, but from the Holy Spirit's mediation and intervention through the teaching of God's Word. Now, this is important. If that wasn't the case, and if that wasn't in place for us today, can you imagine somebody getting up before a group of followers of Christ and says, I have heard from God, and that which I have to say is on the same level as God's inspired Word in the Bible? Well, that wouldn't happen. And if you ever have someone tell you that, beware. Yes. Right? So, are you understanding this? Yes, the Holy Spirit is so involved, but not in a way where it removes and sets aside the very Word of God. Amen. They work together in conjunction for us today. Now, like apostleship, in a broad sense, Christians today can be specially gifted like the early church prophet to carry the message to unbelievers. Amen? Amen. We too are, are blessed and, and, and even called to do that like they were in the early church, to penetrate unreached parts of the world and to pr proclaim God's word effectively to not only unbelievers but also to believers. And it would likely be carried out today through the next three gifts that are listed for us here in verse 11. But before we go there, one last thing with regards to prophecy. There is no question that the gift to predict events has, has been abused um, to the point of, of just craziness, right? However, that being said, the abuse of a gift does not in any way, shape, or form eliminate the fact that the Spirit of God still will still at times give believers a glimpse into coming events in order to prepare and to strengthen them to face the events that are on the horizon. And he still does that. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? However, the major function of prophecy is clearly stated by Scripture, and the fact should be heeded for by all believers. And Paul gives us this in 1 Corinthians 14.3, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Let's look at the third gift mentioned that Jesus has given to the church. And it's the evangelists. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the church and the evangelists, and I do believe this also would involve the missionary, built on it, on that foundation, by winning the loss to Christ. A gifted evangelist possesses a special ability that has come from the Lord to make it particularly plain and relevant to unbelievers, the gospel message, and to help hesitant people take the step of faith to make that decision to get over the hump. Think of modern-day folks like Billy Graham or even Greg Laurie. Now, having said that, before you let yourself off the hook... 
thinking, well, I'm sure, certainly no Billy Graham, and I'm not a great glory, so I guess this just doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. <laughs> not the case. The fact is, each of us, whether we have the specific gift or not, have the calling, and may I dare say even the privilege yes, yes. of sharing Christ Jesus, His gospel message with others. We have a privilege to do that, every single one of us. While those gifted in evangelism will certainly lead the way in, in such a way, we must all carry and share in carrying out the great mission that Jesus has given us. Amen? Let me just quickly reiterate that for us found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We should never, ever be tempted, folks, to leave evangelism to the experts. Is that? Yeah? You agree? <laughs> Christ wants to use each of us to spread his message in our own unique networks or circles of influence. The fact that a believer may not possess this specific gift does not excuse them from being burdened for the lost and then even going out and witnessing to them and seeing Jesus win souls to his kingdom. God calls us to his son. He calls us to be followers of his son. And that involves us going out and spreading the news about his son. Jesus never calls anyone to follow him without making them fishers of people. Every single one of us. If we have truly come to him, then surely we will go out for him and share him with others. Alistair Begg once said, there are plenty of important elements of church life that should never be ignored. But when we neglect evangelism, pursuing these other things becomes like rearranging furniture when the house is on fire. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Now let's look at the fourth and fifth gifts given by Jesus, pastor and teacher. These two terms are linked grammatically together in the original Greek text, indicating a close relationship between the two of them. Though they can be distinguished, Paul likely had in mind a close association between pastors and teachers, and that's understandable, isn't it? Like shepherds, which is what the term pastor means in the original, they tended God's flock. These two gifts had two distinct dimensions. On one hand, it empowered the pastor uh, to shepherd their flocks by 
meeting the day-to-day needs of the congregation, such as counseling, confronting, comforting, guiding, and of course, feeding. And on the other hand, it enabled them to feed their sheep through the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. These gifts have not changed over time. Leaders functioning as peace pastors and teachers do the same work in churches today as our early predecessors did back in the early church centuries ago. The pastor is an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, these brief descriptions of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers exemplify something that I do not want us to miss here. They, amongst a whole lot of other things that they speak to us, they certainly do speak this, that Christ took great care for his church to give to us, to provide for his church these gifts. He loves us, he is for us, and he has blessed us with these gifts. Amen? And we must see them as that. He didn't leave the church orphaned with nobody to teach, comfort, shepherd, or nurture them in their new faith. Instead, he sent his spirit, whose grace so transformed the lives of believers that they would be used by God to build up the body of Christ, both local churches and the church universal, wherever God's word is preached and spoken and believed. And so this leads us as to why then did he give the gifts? In a more detailed way, we have verse 12. Paul gives us the answer to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ in the faith, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Excuse me. Some of you may remember a statement I made three weeks ago in preparation for this message. The question was this, who is your minister? And I even added to that, how many do you have in your church? Who is your minister? How many do you have? And so in light of what Paul is showing us here, God gives pastors and teachers to his church not to be the minister's but to equip and to train the ministers. Did we not just read that? My, how far we have come. (laughs) With this brief statement, the emphasis does a humongous shift from church leadership to the church body. Like a baton passed between relay runners, the responsibility for everything now rests on the whole body of Christ and not just a few. And let me just add here, in order to be equipped, as this is laying out for us, we must be teachable, okay? Important. Now, contrary to what we may think, Contrary to what many think, the church does not exist primarily to evangelize. It exists to build the saints 
so that they in turn would do the work of the ministry. If you come from a church background, the tendency is to think that Christian service happens primarily at church by the leadership. Might I even go so far as saying by the paid professional? As thought by some. The attendees come and sit, hear some music and a sermon, get up and leave. End of story. All just to be repeated again week after week after week. In reality, however, the most effective ministry happens, folks, when you're on the job site, when you're at school, or with your buddies having coffee, yeah. or even eating a burger together. That's <laughs> when it happens. In the book of Acts, we see the early church. I love this. Please don't miss this. We see the early church hearing the apostles' teaching. This is Acts chapter 2. Breaking bread together and then going out to turn the world upside down. And I don't know if in the past when you have read those words that you just somehow automatically put that off onto the 12. No. It says that they listened to the apostles teach. The apostles training and equipping. And those who were hearing that, those who were being trained, those who are being equipped are the ones who hit the streets with their feet and turn the world upside down. They did it. You're to do it. Amen. That doesn't excuse me. I'm a part of that. But can I just say it like this, and I don't mean to be silly. You pay me to make you do the work. <laughs> and so who then are the ministers? Yeah, every single one of you. What does this look like? How does it happen? Well, once again, Paul answers that in the next few verses, beginning with verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Listen to that same verse from the New Living Translation. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now you all know all too well that we have an insatiable innate trait to make everything about ourselves. Come on. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it incredible how we can do that? That unfortunately carries over into our Christianity. We come to a church service with our report cards wanting to be blessed. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying desiring to be blessed is a bad thing. No, no, no. 
But please understand in the context in which I'm talking about, where often Christians will come to a church service with their report cards, wanting to be blessed rather than, and here's my point, rather than even it occurring to them, can I go there with the attitude of being a blessing? Not just getting one, but being one, looking to be uh, in th- coming to this place with an enthusiasm and an attitude that is looking forward to being equipped, to being built up so that we might serve Jesus and others better. So then how? Well, Scripture says, by promoting unity, by maturity and godly knowledge, a knowledge that ensures we know the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. Church, the first sign of a grown-up, equipped congregation is that the believers possess the unity of the faith. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Because believers are called to maturity in the faith, Paul is letting us know that we are, since we are children of God, and remember we have already learned that he took the first three chapters laying down an amazing theological doctrinal premise, if, I, if you will, of when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we become his children. And then we find him starting off the second half of this letter, chapter 4, verse 1, by simply saying, since you are the children of God, now act like it. Now we find Paul saying, you are the children of God, act like it. So now he says, so grow up. Be mature. Stop being an infant. Be mature in the things and in the ways of God. Be mature no longer being tossed around, as Paul says, by the ways of this world. Latching on to things that look and sound like truth, but are not truth at all. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. We are drawn to a crackling fire in a fireplace on a cold winter night, are are we not? Don't you all just love that? It's pretty cool, isn't it? That's the wrong term, isn't it? It's not cool, it's warm. (laughs) On a cold winter night. Why? Well, because it provides, amongst other things, both light and it provides warmth. And such is the perfect combination, church, of truth and love. Truth without love is like light of a fire without warmth. Love without truth is like the heat of a fire without light. Truth without love makes people cold in the light, and love without truth makes people stumble in the dark. This helps us understand why we need 
both of these operating and functioning properly in a way that honors God in our lives and in our churches. Amen? Now, verse 16. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Once again, from the New Living Translation, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each of us has a role to fulfill. For just as the joints of our physical body are formed in such a way that if we didn't have ligaments, <laughs> and if we didn't have tendons, our movement would be spastic and painful at best. The same is true spiritually, church. We really do need one another. And might I even add, desperately. The Lord has brought us all together in order that together we may conform to Him and go out into this world and make Him known. Jesus sees to it that the members of His body, that be us, receive exactly what they need. And at that point, we become responsible to use faithfully what we've been given to advance his kingdom. Lucado writes in his book, Traveling Light, under God's care, you'll go where you've never been and you'll serve in ways you've never dreamed. But you have to drop some stuff. He says, how can you share grace if you're so full of guilt? How can you offer comfort if you're disheartened? How can you lift someone else's load if your arms are full with your own? For the sake of the God you love and the God you serve and for the sake of others, travel light. How can we? It's a simple answer. It's the cross. God took all of those things that we allowed to become our baggage and bog us down. He took them for us at Calvary. Amen? Amen. We can, through Him, travel light and therefore be used by Him to make a difference in others' lives. And please know this, church. Please know you are never disqualified because of your own struggles or perhaps because of your own brokenness. Isn't that good? We do serve a good God who is so good. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay so that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. So who wants to use? 
Who even cares about a broken jar? Who cares about a cracked pot? God does. He really does. The broken body of Christ Jesus on the cross is the light of the world. Amen? Well, that is exactly the point. God does great things through the greatly broken. It's not the strength of the broken jar that matters, folks. It's the strength of the one who can use it. And somebody has said that when challenges come up and into your life, always remember that God is on your side. And with him, you are always stronger than you think, more loved than you know, and wiser than you believe. God will use your acts of love to mend broken hearts. He will. Will you let him? Will you let him? To mend broken hearts and hurting lives and bring them back together again. That's what he wants to do, church. And the last thing I want to say is earlier when I talked about how folks will come to a church service with their report cards and just wanting to be blessed. I want to challenge you with this, what I believe to be a truth. If you'll change that and make your attitude instead to be to come with an enthusiasm to train, equip so that you can go out and be used better, I guarantee you, you will be greatly blessed. Scripture tells us it is far better to give than to receive. So what do you say if we go out there and we get her done? <laughs> Amen? Amen? We've been given a purpose. We've been given a mission. Let's do it. Father, we come before you now. And we just thank you that you really are a good, good God. And we've been reminded of it again here in Ephesians chapter 4. You didn't go to the right hand of the Father and leaving us unattended to just kind of fend on our own. No, you didn't do that. Instead, you left us with great gifts in order that we might be trained and equipped, strengthened, comforted, and taught, conformed and transformed into your very image so that we could go out and actually do our part, fulfilling the mission and purpose you have placed on every single one of us to make your message known to let people know that there is a God who loves them and cares for them and gave his son for them that they can have peace that they can have joy and that they could have hope all these found 
only truly in you, Lord. Place within our hearts a true burden for the lost as we recognize we are the ministers. You have called every one of us. May we do our part. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.